Hello, I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. Coming up after the news, it's Philosophy Talk. Our topic today, the philosopher George Barclay. Oh, he's the guy who said, to be is to be perceived. If a tree fell down in the woods and there was nobody there to hear it, would it make a sound? He says, no, because everything is just an idea in somebody's mind. You got it right, Ken. You know, Barclay's contemporaries didn't find his views too plausible. Dr. Johnson thought he could refute Barclay by kicking a rock, and Barclay's friend Jonathan Swift wouldn't open the door for him when he came to visit because he thought if Barclay was right, he should be able to walk through the door. Well, I don't know. It's not just his contemporaries. I think our contemporaries may not find Barclay's ideas too plausible either. But you know, he does have a university, Berkeley, not Barclay, but Berkeley named after him. Why is Barclay such an important figure in the history of philosophy? Our guest is Professor David Hilbert, and we'll get started when Philosophy Talk continues after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of 91.7 KALW, local and innovative public radio for San Francisco. You know, Ken, KALW is my idea of a good radio station, and Stanford is my idea of a good university. And And our conversations at KALW continue conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. And migrate to the air, which is a good idea, and then from the air to a really good idea, the Internet, via our blog, theblog.philosophytalk.org. Now today, in case you couldn't guess from all those ideas, we're talking about the great philosopher George Barclay, who thought the world was nothing but minds and their ideas. Isn't that a beautiful theory, Ken? (laughs) No. It's a weird (laughs) theory. It's a crazy theory. Because, look, I've got a quick refutation. I know it's the world isn't just my idea, because if I were go to, to go away, the world would still be here. It isn't just your idea, because if you were to go away, the world would still be here. If we were all to go away, the world would still be here. You know... You're not the first one to come up with that refutation. The uh, Oxford Don Ronald Knox put it in the form of a limerick. There once was a man who said, God must find it exceedingly odd that this sycamore tree continues to be when there's no one about in the quad. So see, thus we refute Barclay. There's still the world when we're not here. No, but you and Ronald Knox don't have Barclay quite right. He thinks the world is minds and their ideas, and included in those minds is the big one. The reply on, the, on behalf of Barclay. Dear sir, your astonishment's odd. I'm always about in the quad, so the sycamore tree will continue to be as observed by yours faithfully, God. Oh, so they're God's idea. Everything is God's idea. He's always watching, always listening, although he doesn't have eyes. I mean, I still find it odd. I still find it odd, John, because look, okay, whose idea is it? My mind's idea, your mind's idea, or God's ideas? And do we have the same ideas as God? My ideas don't seem very much like God's. I don't know. I'm, I'm still not convinced. Well, Ken, as one might expect, given your philosophical brilliance, you've put your finger on a couple of delicate problems for those of us who really like Barclay's philosophy. We'll return to them in a bit, but for now I want to emphasize that this man, although he didn't believe in the material world, this great 18th century philosopher who didn't believe in the the material world was a very practical man. He did lots of interesting things, including being the first really important English intellectual to come to the New World, to America. Yeah, and he, in some sense, he was the America's first great philosopher, although he was an Irishman and a Brit, I guess. That's true, and he ended up with a university, Berkeley, named after him. And to tell us how that happened, our roving philosophical reporter, Rujan Shen, files this report. Mario Savio, Jack London, The Manhattan Project, 
Maxine Hong Kingston, the Free Speech Movement, Joan Didion, Allen Ginsberg, Alice Waters. What do they have in common? They're all part of the history of Berkeley, California. But how exactly did the short yet rich history of Berkeley begin? Namely, how did Berkeley become Berkeley? Being a native of China and having lived in Berkeley for only two years, I had no clue and decided to ask my fellow Berkeleyans. I'm not sure. I have no idea. I think it has to do with the person that was his proper name. Isn't a philosopher's name? Berkeley got its name from a person. I think it's the author. I believe it's a woman. I'm not sure. It was named after a bishop. Lord Barclay. It was a、uh, philosopher from Dublin, Ireland. It's actually supposed to be pronounced Barclay. Philosopher, writer, nobleman, clergyman, male, female, and pronounced as Barclay. I was amazed at the possibilities. On May 24, 1866, the trustees of the College of California decided to name this area Berkeley. David Farrell, university archivist on the UC Berkeley campus. George Berkeley, I believe he pronounced his name Berkeley,、uh, Bishop of Cloyne, one of the great 18th-century philosophers and mathematicians and theologians. So it is the philosopher Berkeley. But what is the College of California? The、uh, antecedent to the university was the College of California, which was a small, private, church-related, or at least it, it was certainly heavily based on Christianity and Christian principles, liberal arts college in Oakland. The College of California never prospered, and in the late 1850s, the trustees decided to find a new location. They didn't like it over in Oakland. They wanted to be farther away. Some people said that one of the reasons was they were concerned about the students being corrupted by city life, so they wanted to get into a more rural, bucolic setting. Back then, this land was where people went to take a break from city life, sit down on a rock, admire the bay view, and read poems. On a beautiful day in 1866, that's exactly what happened to Frederick Billings, a trustee of the College of California. Watching two ships sailing west through the Golden Gate, he suddenly remembered a poem by George Berkeley. Westward, the course of empire takes its way. The first four acts already passed. A fifth shall close the drama of the day. Time's noblest offspring is the last. Inspired by Berkeley's project to set up higher education institutions in America, Billings and his fellow trustees decided to name the area after him, but pronounced in American fashion, Berkeley. Berkeley has come to, to have a very special meaning in people's minds around the world, and you know we've had we've always had a lot of international students. We've always had a high profile everywhere. That's distinctive, and it's it's interesting that we've kept alive Berkeley's name into the present in a very different context. There's excellent philosophy and science built here, created here, discovered here. Meanwhile, the city of Berkeley has become a center of political activism and radical social ideas. Does it go with the philosophy of George Berkeley? He believed that science and Christianity were compatible. I think the、uh, what he's most famous for is that quote that to be is to be perceived. Things didn't exist; it was your perception of them. You are only an idea. You don't. You're not physically there, really. I mean, if he had some idea that like that that I've read about, that seems to me、um, odd. <laughs> for philosophy talk, this is Ru Jingshan. Want to hear more? You can hear the rest of the program by purchasing it at iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.